0: amen what well, the scripture reading this morning is from genesis 44 we're looking at a series of sermons today we're reaching the end point we're looking at the story of joseph and today we're looking at genesis chapter 44 the first 13 verses and 45 1 to 15 genesis 44 and then we're looking at that uh, next chapter the first 15 verses this is a reading of god's word Then he commanded the steward of his house, Fill the men's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. And Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my lords drink, and by this that he practiced divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servant to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouth of our sack we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then can we steal silver or gold from the Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also with my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then quickly each man lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. We're now looking at chapter 45. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it. The household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brother, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. They came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine had been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house, ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brothers Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and all that you have seen. Hurry, bring down bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brothers Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers. And he wept upon them. And after all that his brothers talked with him. Amen. That's a reading of God's word. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks that you are God who speaks to us. You're God who is present with us. And pray now, God, that we would learn more about your heart, your dream for us, and your dream for this world. So give us a glimpse of your heart bring give us a glimpse of your kingdom and your power and your beauty lead us as your children we pray this in jesus name amen amen well this is uh we've been going through a series of sermons if you just joined us been going through a series of sermons on the life of joseph and we said that the life of joseph can be seen through the lens of dreams uh joseph's life was all about dreams when he was a young teenage boy he had this massive dream about greatness, and he thought he was gonna be great. Uh, the next, uh, scene that we see is about this idea of Judah's, Judah. Judah was someone who didn't have dreams. Uh, he was led astray by his false sexual fantasies. Dreams are about the future, Judah is all about the now. Uh, last week we looked at Pharaoh. Pharaoh had dreams, but his dreams were nightmares. And instead of being led by dreams, his life was being chased by nightmares of what could happen. The question we've been asking people throughout this series is, is your life led by dreams or are you being chased by nightmares or are you being led astray by false fantasies? What is your thought life like? What are you constantly thinking about? Is it dreams, God's dreams? Uh, Is it nightmares or are you daydreaming false fantasies? And all of us uh, have been wrestling with this idea of God's dream for our lives. Well, today, as we close out this series, uh, we've been talking about our dreams, but today I want to close out this series by talking about God's dream. You know, what is God's dream for your life? What is God's dream for this world? What is he trying to accomplish? What is he all about? Today, as we close out this series, we want to look at God's dreams. God's, uh, desire for our lives. And we want to sum up God's dream by saying it's about three things. What does God want from us? What is His desire for this world? Three things. One is changed lives. Secondly, bringing good out of evil. And third, restoring relationships. Those are the three things that is on God's heart. That's His plan. And the first thing is this idea of changing lives. Uh, If you just joined us, we looked at the story of Joseph. And I mentioned, uh, it starts all the way back in Genesis 37. And I mentioned earlier that Genesis, Genesis 37 begins with Joseph's, he has this great dream. And he dreams of greatness, which he thinks of as greatness. His brothers are bowing down to him. The stars and the sun and the moon, they're bowing down to Joseph. And it starts with that dream. And not only was Joseph... Did he have big dreams? But he was also the favorite son of his father. Jacob had 12 sons. And uh, Joseph was his favorite son. He famously gave Joseph a beautiful technicolor Prada robe. And it just Joseph had that robe. And it drove his brothers crazy. Uh, Joseph was, he had a big head. He, his head was so big, he had a hard time fitting through doors. I mean, he, he thought it was all about him. He was all about himself. He thought he was it. And it made his brothers, understandably, very jealous. Things get to a boiling point where they're so angry at Joseph that they sell him out. Judah's the ringleader. He sells Judah. Judah sells his brother out to be a slave in Egypt. And things go from bad to worse in Egypt for Joseph. Joseph is sold into slavery. He's falsely accused of rape. He ends up in prison. And things seem to be going very bad for Joseph, but we've been looking at the series and how in prison, God's outworking Joseph's life. God is purifying him. God is humbling Joseph. Joseph starts stops obsessing about himself, and he enters into the dreams of other people. He starts letting go of his own selfish agenda, and he starts embracing God's dream for his life. The key of Joseph's life is that God is changing him. Not only is God changing Joseph, he's also working in the lives of Joseph's brothers. This is the chapter that we're looking at this morning. God is working in in Joseph's brother's life. We see this early on in chapter uh, 42. As chapter 42 opens up, there's a great famine in the land. This is the dream that Joseph predicted. And because of that, Jacob and his sons, his remaining sons, they're starving. So Jacob sends 10 brothers to Egypt to buy grain. He leaves Benjamin. Benjamin's the youngest because Jacob, believe it or not, has a new favorite son. The the youngest of the the ones left, Benjamin. He leaves him there because he's protective of him. sends 10 brothers to, to Egypt. And lo and behold, when the brothers get there, the guy who's in charge of all the grain, of all that is happening, is Joseph. But the brothers don't recognize Joseph. It's been 22 years. That's the length of what has happened. 22 years since the brothers sold Joseph out, and they don't recognize Joseph. He's gone from a boy to a man. He probably looks very Egyptian. He's been in Egypt for 22 years. He's probably in Egyptian clothing, the brothers don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And you would think that when Joseph sees them, he would be immediately tell his brothers what's up, and that he's alive, and that he's doing well. But Joseph doesn't do that. In fact, he does the opposite of that. He doesn't tell his brothers anything, but he accuses them. He accuses them of, of being spies in the land. And he charges them with theft. And... uh he sends his brothers. In verse 18, Joseph lays down a challenge to them. He says, I think you're spies, but to prove your honesty, leave your youngest brother Simeon, and I know you have another brother that's not, that's not here. Go back. Go back. Bring your brother Benjamin back to me. I'm going to leave Simeon here. And he, as they go, he puts their money back into their uh, sacks. He sends them away. Like, this is an elaborate scheme. If you've read this text, some of you guys are reading through the Bible. It's an elaborate scheme, and some people wonder what Joseph's up to. Like, is he getting revenge? Is he upset at his brothers? Why this elaborate scheme? And really, Joseph tells his brothers actually what he's up to. In verse 15, Joseph explicitly tells his brothers he's testing them. Verse 15, By this you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh, you shall not, not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. What is this test about, if he's testing them? Well, essentially, he's trying. Joseph is trying to replay with his brothers what they did to him. The temptation uh, in this test is this, that Joseph's brothers are going to go back. Would they abandon their youngest brother, Simeon, in Egypt? Would they sell his brother out? Would they tell their father, Jacob? Would they lie to him and say, J- uh, Simeon, he got lost, he fell ill, uh, he's not with us. Would they take the money that was in their sack, keep it for themselves? Would they lie to their, bro- to their father like they la- lied to their father earlier? Would they sell their brother out like they sold Joseph out? Uh, would they keep the money for themselves? That was a test. What would they do? Have the brothers changed? And what we see is that the brothers have, in fact, changed. The first uh, evidence that the, the brothers changed is that they confess, they come clean about what, with what they did. In uh, Genesis chapter 42, verse 21, this is the first thing that we see is that the brothers come clean. It says, Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, And that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. You know, one of the keys to change, one of the first things that you do to change is you confess. Uh, The only place where you can start to change is you begin to address your need to change. And for the first time ever, uh, the brothers come clean. Uh, They come clean to each other and they say, you know what? This is happening because of what we did with Joseph. That was wrong what we did. We sold him out. Uh, We did sell him out. And we hear details about things that we didn't know before. The the brothers say, uh, remember when Joseph was crying out from the pit to, to let him go? We didn't listen to him. This is all happening because it's a sin that we committed against our brother. The sin that we committed against God. And that's the first sign that we see that they're beginning to change. When they get back, to, get back home from Egypt, uh, they talk to their father Jacob, and they come clean to him as well. They tell him exactly what happened. They don't lie to him like they did before. Uh, they say that Simon, your youngest son, is being held hostage. He's back in Egypt. We have the money. They gave it back to us. And the man in charge wants us to bring Benjamin back to Egypt. That's the only way we're going to get Simeon back. And Jacob, he's not having it. I mean, he has a logic which seems inescapable. He said, Joseph is dead. Simeon is no more. He's not with us. Now you want me to give you Benjamin as well? I don't want to lose three sons. There's no way I am having that. I'm not losing three sons. And right in the midst of that, Judah, he steps up and he gives this moving, brilliant speech. Some Bible scholars who've studied this speech says, say it's one of the most moving speeches in the Old Testament. This is what Judah says in verse 8. He says, And Judah said to Israel his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. It's a remarkable speech. 22 years earlier... Judah was the ringleader. Remember, if you weren't with us, Judah spearheaded the campaign to sell Joseph out for 20 pieces of silver. And now Judah, 22 years later, is saying the exact opposite. He says to his father Jacob, please let Benjamin go, and if Benjamin doesn't come back, I'll step up, I'll be a slave. I will give up my life if I don't bring Benjamin back. 22 years earlier, uh, Judah was callous. As Jacob, he ripped his clothing in mourning for his son, Joseph. Now Judah is willing to do anything to cause his father grief. What has happened to Judah? Judah has transformed. He's gone, gone from being selfless, selfish, to being sacrificial. He's gone from being a follower to a leader. He's gone from being callous being filled with genuine empathy. Uh, God has is working in uh, Judah's life. Uh, what is God's desire for us? What is God's dream? And his dream for all of us this morning is that he wants to change us. God is in God's plan, his desire for our lives is to change us. God accepts us as we are, but he doesn't want, to stay as, he doesn't want us to stay as we are. There's a cancer in all of us that God wants to, to rid us of. He wants to purify us. He wants us to have more of his heart. But notice uh, the way that God has changed Judah and all the brothers. Notice the way that he changed uh, them. Uh, these men, they have grown, not by growing in strength, but in irony, but by growing in weakness. Uh, we have this false notion of what it means to be a man today. Um, Men in our culture and in in this ancient culture was supposed to be strong. They're supposed to be tough, uh, unrelenting, uncompromising. I grew up. My dad. I I, I promise. I grew up. I never saw my dad cry. My dad is. He was a strong Asian man, and he raised me never to cry, never to feel, but to be strong, to be unrelenting, to be proud. You know, I teach, um, I was talking about coaching my son's basketball team. Yesterday, I was coaching my son's basketball team. And there was a couple episodes where these boys, they're only eight and nine, uh, got hurt. They're starting to cry. And I saw a couple fathers go and talk to their sons. And what did they say? First thing they said is, stop crying. (laughs) That's like the first thing. Like crying is a beautiful emotion. I mean, it's therapeutic. We, We grieve. But they're saying, don't cry. Be tough. Be strong. You can get through it. You know, that's how often boys are raised. We're not supposed to have emotions. We're supposed to be tough. We're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be unrelenting. Uh, Joseph's brothers were like that. Early on, uh, Joseph's brothers, Jacob, uh, Joseph was filled with pride. Joseph's brother, they were, they bullied Joseph. They're showing their strength. They're beating him down. Judah was a womanizer. He looked at every woman in sexual terms. That was Judah's life. These were uh, boys. Uh, they took on this masculine culture. And that's why I would say right now we're in this Me Too mo- mo- moment. Because uh, we don't know what it means to be men. What does it mean to be a man of God? What is God doing? And this is what we see in, in their lives. is that They grew up to be boys to men. How do we see that? What, is, what does it mean to be a man of God? Real men uh, can confess their weakness. That's what Judah is doing, right, right at the beginning. The brothers are learning to be men. What do real men according to the Bible what do they look like? They can confess their sins to each other. Uh, they know that they can be weak. That's what God's doing in their life. They're confessing that they're weak, that they're very broken. And that they need God. That's what it means to be a real man. That's what it means to be a real person. Uh, secondly, Judah, what he learns is that he learns to lose so that others can win. Judah shows what a real man is, is a, someone who can live sacrificially. He says, I will lose. I'll take the loss so that everyone else can win. He shows leadership. He shows self-sacrifice. He's showing humility. That's what it means to be a real man. God is changing these boys into men. That's what God is doing. God is changing them from being selfish, womanizers, uh, followers, into being sacrificial, empathetic, humble, dependent on God. That's what it means to be a, a man, a person made in the image of God. God is changing them. That's the big thing. God's plan for our lives is to change us. But secondly, not only that. The story of Joseph is that God is changing lives, but he's also turning all the evil into good. That's the second thing. Uh, When Joseph comes back, uh, has the brother come back, and they have Benjamin with them, he realizes that they've all changed. Joseph opens himself up to his brother's. He tells them that I'm actually your brother. Uh, at first, the brothers, they're afraid. They're like, man, we sold you out. Uh, what are you going to do to us? And Joseph has to reassure them you know, of his intentions. And it says this in verse 5. Joseph tells his brothers this. And now, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine had been in the land these two years, And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Uh, Joseph tells his brothers that you you did not send me here. He said, it wasn't you, it was God. God sent me here. It wasn't your hate that sent me here. It was God's power and his goodness that sent me here. Uh, Joseph says to his brothers, don't be mad at yourselves. God used all of the, that what you did for something good. Out of your evil, God brought about a good thing. Through all of your action, God worked in me to raise me up so that I could be in a place that I could predict the drought i'd be able to have egypt save all their grain so that millions of people would be saved from starvation god used what you did for good don't be don't be angry at yourselves he tells them you know what's interesting is after this happens uh jacob tells uh joseph tells his brothers to get jacob his father bring the family back here uh they move back to egypt And after Jacob passes away, what's interesting is that the brothers, they're still kind of, they're weird because Jacob, their father, can no longer protect them. So they're worried Joseph is, he still has, he still has some bitterness over their years. So at the very end of Genesis, Joseph reassures his brothers one final time because his brothers still are walking on eggshells around Joseph. They're not sure if he's really forgiven them. So in chapter 50, verse 19, he breaks it down to them one final time. This is what he says. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people shall be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This uh, last uh, word that Joseph has to his brothers is a summary of the whole story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph says, You meant it for evil, God transformed it to good. You meant to harm me, but God used it to bless a whole nation, a remnant of the people, to keep them alive, to provide many survivors. Uh, The story of Joseph is how God brings good out of evil. Out of slavery and darkness and oppression, God can bring about justice and beauty and grace and healing. You know, one of, uh, I do a lot of evangelism here in downtown and one of the problems, uh, questions I get a lot, uh, is this question. If God is, is real, if He's good, why is there so much evil in the world? You know, I get that question all the time. You know, if God is so good, why is this world so messed up? You know, we look at the world today, there's so much injustice, there's so much racism, there's so much division. When you look at the world today, there's all kinds of global chaos, dictators, wars. And the question is, if God is real, if God is good, how do we explain this mess that we're in? Uh, we feel that not just when we look outside, but we also feel that in our own lives. We feel that when we experience loss, we ask questions of what has God up to. You know, this has been a difficult uh, season in my life. Um, my mother, three weeks ago, uh, she was uh, she was getting tested for various things, and she uh, my sister actually contacted me first, and she said uh, our mother she tested positive for Alzheimer's disease. You know, and it, it was something that was not actually totally unexpected because my grandmother uh, died from Alzheimer's 20 years ago. And, you know, it, was, it, it, it caused a lot of sadness in our family. And I called her, you know, after that diagnosis and expected her to be very down, but she, she says, you know what, I'm at, I'm at peace with this. Um, I, I, I know that God got me. Uh, she's a woman of faith. And I realized talking with my mom... <laughs> Uh, that she has so much hope and faith because she's seen what my grandmother went through and how she overcame that. My grandmother is one of the reasons I'm a Christian today. I became a pastor. Uh, from the earliest age, I remember, she was singing hymns to me, quoting the Bible to me. You know, she's like the rock of our family. Uh, Twenty years ago, before my grandmother passed, uh, she lost all of her memories. Uh, she didn't recognize family members. The one thing she recognized and she realized is that she would say uh, last weeks of her life, uh, I just want to go home to be with my father. It's an interesting thing because she forgot everything, but not that. You know, she she knew she was a child of God. She knew she had faith. And she lost everything except that because that was her identity. And my mother had strength because she saw her mother, uh, and it's an amazing thing through an ugly disease that she can leave a legacy of faith like that. If she can get through that if her faith is intact through all of that. What a legacy of faith that God can do! That through all of that, her faith and her hope was so strong. What a testimony! You know, I meet all the uh, I meet people all the time who tell me that. They lost their job. They lost their health. They've been through so much loss. And they say to me all the time, I wouldn't be the person I am today except for those things. You know, I've been through some difficult things, but through that, I found the presence of God. Through that, I came to understand myself and how much I needed him. And what the story of God is throughout all of the Bible and throughout all of our lives is God is always turning evil into good. He's always transforming our pain and suffering into beauty and hope. And that's really the story of God. There is nothing in your life right now that God is doing that he's not going to use for his good, for your good, and for his glory. Think about uh, Judah's life. We're going to talk about Judah right at the end. Uh, Judah was, I talked about, he, he sold his brother Joseph out. He was an adulterer. He was a womanizer. Uh, he was the least least worthy person. But God changed his life. And God transformed all of those evil things for his good. And that is the story that God is always telling through us. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, uh, They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. Seuss Lewis says some people are like, man, we suffer in this life and then we're going to get glory, but nothing's going to make up for that. But Lewis says, no, it's not just that. You know, we're going to suffer in this life and there's, there's going to be glory, but God's going to work backward and that glory is going to come and work its way back to every single moment in human history and turn that evil into good. One day the revelation tells us that the heavens will come down to earth. And transform everything in it for glory. And what is that hope? That The hope is that uh, there will be a new heavens, new earth. God will work backwards into every reaches, every pain and suffering and hardship. And one day he will transform that into his glory. That's the story of God. That's what God's doing. Here's the final thing. God is... Uh, turning all he's changing us he's turning our evil into good finally he's restoring every relationship this is the final story of god point at the end of joseph's uh, life all the story comes full circle the story began of joseph began with joseph being favored by jacob it began with his brothers at each other's throats they're angry at each other but the story of joseph ends full circle At the end of the story of Joseph, Jacob is reunited with his son Joseph. He weeps. The story of Joseph ends with Joseph embracing his brothers, weeping, forgiving them, loving on them, and promising them that he's only going to do good to them. The story of God, what is God doing? He's reconciling enemies into friends. Ultimately, the story of God is he's bringing us back home. He's bringing us back home. The story of God is that we're all his children, but all of us have gone astray. We've gone far from home. We walk way far away. The story of God is that he's bringing us back home uh, through his son. In the story of Joseph, there's this power picture of Judah that we mentioned earlier. Uh, Judah sold his brother out. Uh, But at the end of the story of Joseph, Judah steps up. And he says to his brothers, he says to his father, I'll be in the place of the son. I'll sacrifice myself so that my brother can live. Uh, Judah is a picture of Jesus. We've been talking about throughout the series, Joseph is a picture of Jesus. But finally, the final picture is this. Judah is a picture of Jesus. Judah says, I will go so my brothers will live. I will lose so that you can gain and win. Jesus uh, this is a story of the gospel. The gospel is that we're so far away from home, but Jesus, our older brother, sacrifices himself. He stands in our place so that we, the younger brother, we can go back home. We can be set free. You know, it's interesting because Jesus was descended from what line? The line of Judah. If you look at Matthew's gospel, there are tw- 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus could have descended from any one of those tribes, Gospel of Matthew tells us that Jesus was descended from the tribe of Judah. In fact, in Revelation 5, Jesus is called the lion from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the greater Judah. He comes to stand in our place to bring us back home. When you think about Judah, uh, we talked about all the bad things about Judah. He sold Joseph out. He led his brothers to do that. He was a womanizer, an adulterer. Yet, God used Judah to bring Joseph back. God used Judah to be the line that would lead to Jesus. And that idea is that God can change anybody. God can forgive anybody. God can heal anybody. God can turn any evil into good. He can transform that. And Judah is testament to that work of god that is god's dream god's dream is to uh change us to work good out of evil and to bring us back home and not only that and the final idea is this jesus doesn't just come to reconcile us to himself to bring us back home but he's come to bring enemies and make them into friends Uh, one of the most beautiful pictures of heaven is this is in revelation chapter 7 verse 9 to 10 and throughout the Bible, the nations are at war with other nations. There's hostility, there's conflict like we see now. But guess what heaven is like? Uh, one of the pictures of heaven in Revelation 7 is this. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and people all and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In Revelation, the final picture of heaven is that all the nations are together. And they're not at war with each other, but they're together. They're this multicultural group of people from every tribe, tongue, and people. It's the United Nations, but they're united in praise to God. They're united in worship to God. God. This is God's dream. God's dream is that diverse groups of people from all the nations will one day be united. What unites them is this Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God's dream is that this, these nations will come to worship Him. What is God's dream? God has a dream. You know, we talk about our dreams. Our dreams can not come true. They can be frustrated. They could be tweaked. They can be uh, renewed, but you know what? God's dream will always come true. God's dream will one day be a reality. God, one day, if you place your faith in Him, will change you. Ultimately, powerfully, beautifully, God will one day work every bad thing in your life for your good. Every bad thing, heaven will work in reverse. Uh, and one day, God will will be part of this beautiful choir of nations from every tribe and tongue, and people. Would God's dream direct your life? We talked about dreams directing our lives. Would that dream, would that direct us? It's a compelling, it's a beautiful dream. Would you dream that dream? Would you tell other people about that dream of God? Uh, That is compelling good news for a world that is fractured, uh, for a world that is divided. We need to hear that gospel good news, the dream of the greater Judah A line from the tribe of Judah. And in him, all of our ultimate dreams and longings will find fulfillment. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning. We come to you as we are. We come uh, as people who often have very broken dreams. And we've been very disappointed in our life. We come as wounded people. Uh, who've been very hurt, who've been very disappointed. Maybe some of us are very jaded and none of us have dreams anymore. So I pray God that you would help us to dream your dream of the kingdom. Pray that you give us hope that any of us can change and be used by you. Pray that you would give us hope that you're turning all of our darkness into your light. I pray now that we would live with hope and with faith. And Jesus, the lion from the tribe of Judah, help us to find our hope in him. Help us to be people of hope. Help us to be people who are overjoyed. I pray that you'd also give us new dreams that we can dream this morning. Uh, Dreams of transformation. Dreams of being and extending your kingdom. So I pray that you'd plan in us these new dreams and new desires for we know that they all find their fulfillment in your son, Jesus. We give you thanks for him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.